I am the sun. Uh-huh. I am the air. We love, I love, spit, love. <laughs> I need to be loved just like everybody else. Yeah. So for the yeah. audience, that's the that's the actual theme song. This is Alex. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after the episode outtakes curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the unexpected breakout hit series that changed the trajectory of its home network and raised the bar for primetime network television as we know it, the original Charmed. This series, which many deem to be a fusion of popular films such as Practical Magic and The Craft, far surpassed expectations and became a television cornerstone, a pop culture icon, a critical darling, and a cult classic. So how do we feel about Charmed over 21 years after its debut? Stay tuned. everyone here's some details about charmed the series is a drama fantasy and supernatural fiction it was created by constance m berg it was released on october 7th 1998 and it ran from that date until may 21st 2006 the series aired on the wb for eight seasons and a total of 178 episodes um, it got a reboot the new charm series which debuted in 2018 and it had two unofficial spin-off comics charmed season 9 and charmed season 10 the series stars Shannon Doherty as Prudence Hallowell aka Prue Holly Marie Combs as Piper Hallowell Alyssa Milano as Phoebe Hallowell Brian Krause as Leo Wyatt Julian McManon as Cole Turner, a.k.a. Baltazar, Rose McGowan as Paige Matthews, Dorian Gregory as Daryl Morris, Drew Fuller as Chris Hallowell, and Callie Cuco as Billy Jenkins. So these are some of our major players, although this series was overflowing with guest stars, very high caliber guest stars. Everyone very. from John Cho to Amy Adams was on Charmed. <laughs> Yeah, Daniel J. Kim was on Charmed. All of the all the heavy hitters. Right. So, um, really quick, I want to talk about the creator, Constance, Constance Bird. She actually created another series for 
the WB, a very short-lived series called Savannah, which got canceled mid-season and was replaced by Buffy in the WB's lineup. So she had had a flop under her belt, but she had also been a writer on really successful series like Judging Amy, Boston Public, and Ally McBeal. She's someone who obviously is very, very adept at writing strong female characters and writing adult-centric dramas. And Charmed was the really first big adult drama that was on the WB. I know Buffy aired prior to this, and so did Dawson's Creek. And so it was really making making its name as the home for teen drama. But other than the very, uh, very hokey, very corny Seventh Heaven, it didn't really have any like legit dramas on that network until Charmed. Charmed really put the WB on in a very major way. Yeah, Charmed is like a true blue breakout like hit like bona fide hit as evidenced by the fact that it has eight freaking seasons uh, as well as when it went into syndication, it, it then became even more popular. Cause I know a lot of people first encountered this show with the syndications on uh, TNT in the mornings and the afternoons and the evenings. Um, I know a lot, a lot of people also encountered this show on like pop TV and then it had new life on Netflix. Because when I was rewatching on on Netflix, like I was like, these songs are terrible. I am the sun. Uh-huh. I am the air. We love I love sit love. I need to be loved just like everybody else. Yeah. So for yeah. the audience, that's the that's the actual theme song. Yeah, we love that theme song, and they got to keep it. They got to keep it. They got to keep a few of their songs, all these shows did, um, from, like, artists that were lesser known. Love Spit Love is a rock band where that song was, like, their only hit. It had been featured in the movie The Craft, and it became a hit, um, like a minor hit. And then it became a major hit, like, the next year when it was featured on Charmed. Like, that's still the only song that most people know by them, so they know what pays them. <laughs> like, yeah, you can keep the theme song, fam. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. Just hand over those royalties. No. Um, they know but, what yeah. Pays them. but yeah, the song she's talking about is How Soon Is Now by Love Spit Love, and there's a reason why, unfortunately, um, that's the only song we know by that band. They're a good band, but they kind of got drowned out by all the other mid to late 90s bands that were, like, in full effect at the time. If you watch it on Netflix, you don't get to hear it. So there there you go. That was my little impromptu form- performance yeah. for you guys. But season one, let's get into season one. So season one, we meet the sisters, Prudence, the oldest, Piper, the middle daughter, and Phoebe, the youngest of the Hallowell sisters. And they their grandmas just died, right? And they reunite in their family home, which they have inherited. She's left the house to the three of them. And they discover then that they have, they are descended from a long line of witches and it's their destiny to fight demons and warlocks. Now, looking back on the show, I thought this was really funny phrasing that is because when I read other kind of like witchcraft themed type of situations or books, movies, whatever, warlocks are always like the male equivalents of witches, right? But the show says that witches can be of any gender and warlocks are just their evil counterparts. Like, so warlocks are anyone that does dark magic, which I thought was interesting. 
Right. Same. I actually liked that. I really vibed with that idea because I think witches just like it's a very it's very feminine. Mm-hmm. So I like that like men ha- like who are witches are like like they also have like take up that feminine sort of like ethos of like witches and Wicca and, and witchcraft and the connection to nature and all of that. I like Yeah, that. I thought it was cool too because like so I'm a big fan of um The Crucible by Arthur Miller. And in that book they talk about like the 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 witch hunts, um the Salem witch hunts. And they also use witch the same way that they do on charmed as a very gender gender neutral term. But the three sisters have three very distinct sets of powers. Prue can move objects with her mind. She's telekinetic, usually with a hand gesture or movement of her eyes later on in the series. Piper can freeze time. And Phoebe has premonitions of the future. Premonitions, not like full-on visions like a Madame Cleo, but like more like a more like a Professor Trelawney, a circ, you know, <laughs> of, of the Harry Potter universe. She gets flashes of very brief moments in time. Um, without full context. So think Professor Trelawney, think Raven from That's So Raven. That's what she's saying. This first season is really interesting and in that I did not remember how sort of discombobulated this show was. First season is fine, but it's very, like, all over the place. Uh, The nature of the episodes are very episodic. Once we get past the initial setup of the pilot, introducing these characters, it almost feels like sort of sitcom format that was, like, drawn out for an hour, and then they tossed in some dramatic relationship-y stuff. I don't know if I like it. I think it's just... It's just something notable about this series. It's interesting in, in terms of watching it now. It, it's it's a time capsule. For sure. Um, I kind of like the way they handle the show, particularly in this first half, because I kind of like that um, almost detached feeling from episode to episode. Like the sisters are growing. They're progressing. There's like undercurrents of like um, Prudence, Prue's relationship with her boyfriend Andy, there's Piper's Piper, who has two love interests, their hot neighbor Dan and Leo, their white lighter. So there, there are these undercurrents. So for the most part, it's kind of like a one-off type of situation. You don't have to be overly emotionally invested in each individual episode. There's going to be new shit to worry about next episode. And I like that. I like. I really love this, particularly the first two seasons. How campy it all feels. It kind of reminds me of Buffy season one. Also, justice for Dan, uh, and it should have been Dan. Dan is- we can talk about that when we get to season two, because girl, <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh it's this first season is great. It's like it's like a time capsule. And I will also say this first season, and I think a lot of just the series in general is um a lot of this dialogue is like not good and these actresses like fucking make it work like shout out this uh yeah this show is like really on the backs of the the three leads and shout out it i mean and i guess four when we get to page and shout out to all of them because woo baby like some of these jokes that they write like those terrible puns <laughs> And the actresses make those work is like, I mean, very, I'm very impressed. Yeah, I'm impressed with the show as well. I really am. I thought the show was really great. Um, It was well done. And I agree with you. A lot of this dialogue on its own is kind of like 
quoi? What are you doing? Um, but the the leads do make it work. I think all the actors on the show are very strong. Even the supporting actors like um, uh, Dorian Gregory, who plays Daryl Morris, who is like a black character that's a supporting character for seven out of the eight seasons. Um, I think they all do a really good job with the material and not making it come off too corny. Season one, um, I really enjoyed how they they work with like the power of three, the concept of the power of three, because three is like a very important number in witchcraft across the world. And I love that they have a book of shadows. Those of you who know about Gardnerian witchcraft um, know that he published a book of shadows, I believe in the 1960s. Um, so the fact that they were trying to incorporate these elements of actual Wicca were really interesting to me. But I like the fact that at its heart, it's a show about mending, at least in season one, it's about mending these relationships between the sisters. Prue and Phoebe in particular have a very, very strained relationship. And getting past that um, is one of the keys to their growth as witches. Shout out to Alyssa Milano's baby hair. I think she's like the only white woman I know who like who like really rocks the baby hair. I, I love it. I live for it. Um, <laughs> fun fact for the audience, and I, I talked with Alex about this, but um, she wasn't actually originally cast to play Phoebe. The actress Lori Rom was cast as Phoebe, and she filmed an unaired pilot. Aaron Spelling later recast Alyssa Milano because Lori Rom left that role after that initial portrayal of Phoebe because she said it clashed with her religious beliefs. I honestly cannot imagine anyone else but Alyssa Milano in that role. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I don't see anybody else for Phoebe other than Alyssa Milano. Um, she's so great she's so great and she brings that character she brings so much life to that character she she hits just the right notes of like whimsical but sexy and um like optimistic and hopeful like she 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 does a great job yeah Alyssa Milano has always 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 embodied well it always in adulthood anyway embodied that quality of very innocent but very sensual um the first time I saw it was when she did the film (laughs) Poison Ivy 2. <laughs> Listen, that movie was all over the place, but my girl was acting, okay? Um, she and Jonathan Schneck were in that movie. Check it out. It's probably still on Voodoo. It was on Voodoo like a year ago. But like, She was acting, okay? She was like 20 years old, and she was really telling these girls, like, I'm not on Who's the Boss anymore. FYI, I'm all grown up now. <laughs> but she kind of brought that same sort of like um that quality like you said she has that whimsy she has that innocence she's got she's like that naughty girl next door type of quality phoebe really is the more sexual or sensual of the sisters prue is uh the more straight laced the more rational and piper is the more mild-mannered even-tempered one right right she's piper's your typical middle child Yep, but except she'd be raising these girls because she always has to break up their little fights. <laughs> but um, we love Piper, and I I really loved that the show gave Piper a love interest because it's so easy. It would have been so easy to create a character like her that's always trying to play mediator and like make them sexless, right? right? But Piper doesn't have just one; she has two love interests going into season one. She has Leo, their white lighter, which is kind of like their guard 
or and like a guide for new witches and she also has their neighbor dan who's like this ridiculously hot man but he's like you know he's mortal so so yeah so i will say one thing that got me in season one was like how useful leo is like he does so many things (laughs) right charmed isn't here for useless men first of all all the men that are in their lives have a purpose (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I was like, but he's, he's just like a very active character in season one, which he, as the seasons go on, he, he isn't really not for a long time until I think some of the way, way later seasons, then he is active again. But I was like, huh, Leo used to actually do things. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see Brian Krause too. Cause I remember when Charmed aired, the only thing I had seen him in prior to this day, the only thing I've ever seen him in besides Charmed is the classic, cult classic film, Sleepwalkers. Mm. He was the son in that movie. And it's interesting because that movie also has a lot of magical supernatural themes. Like, he and his mom are cat people. <laughs> well, I will say he was in an amazing Lifetime movie, uh, co-starring... Jude Harrison from Instant Star, aka Alex Johnson, what? where he plays like a priest, and Alex Johnson plays um like a a girl like who's like a witch, but she's like possessed by the devil. In her, she's like self destructing because she's like possessed by the devil, and Brian Krause is trying to like exercise her or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nuts. It's so nuts. Every time you say her name, I just be like, waste my time, waste my time. Listen, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh, anyway, justice for Jude and Shay, but moving on. <laughs> moving on. Um, we love, I love that, the fact that the Piper character actually had a life outside of playing mediator for her sister. So Piper's a cook who wants to be a chef, wants to have her own restaurant. The, all the sisters have a lot of ambitions, except for Phoebe, who is very much a character that's still trying to find herself and find her passions, which is fine because she's in that younger child role still. But I love that they have these very, very distinct personalities and very clearly defined interests. Love it. And Prue is the professional who has it together and is is working and bringing home, I guess, um, the bulk of their the income for the house. Because that's what older siblings do. <laughs> their jobs never end, right? And in particular, in Prue's case, um, she was she's not your typical older sibling because their mom died when they were young. And so they were raised by their grandmother, but she kind of, you know, when you are the oldest child and that parent dies, you kind of have to step up. Right. And their father had checked out prior to that. So she she really had to step up her role. And I think that kind of that that responsibility at such a young age, you can clearly see how it defines her character and defines her personality. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we love, uh, I love their depictions and I also love some of the supporting characters. We have Andy, who is Phoebe's ex, who she later reunites with. And we also have Daryl Morris, who is Andy's partner. Now the Daryl character was a character like looking, rewatching the series. I hadn't realized how integrated he was in the, the plot as a supporting character. I really didn't, but he was a supporting character that really got around and they kept him on for like 
the duration. He's in seven out of eight seasons um, until at the end of season seven when he literally moves away. We don't just stop seeing Daryl. He moved away. <laughs> oh, you'll have to remind me what, what episode that is when we get to it because I don't remember him moving away. But um, but I do remember him being around like and he was he was a token black character and he he did that. For real. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he was a token black character, but I enjoy that the fact that he wasn't um tokenized, so to speak. His 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 plot lines were all revolved around his job. Again, charm doesn't do useless men. So he was there as a, a help and a support system in a similar fashion as Leo. Uh so he was kind of like their mortal, a mortal version of a white lighter for the for the charmed sisters. Mm. Yeah, but he did move to the East Coast at the end of season seven. That's what he told Piper. Like, he's moving to the East Coast, and that's why he left. Okay. I mean, I yeah, he's sort of... Daryl is essentially, like, the mortal liaison. He's, like, the deus ex machina when it comes to um, anything that, like, happens where they would need, like, police <laughs> or, like, or, like, clearly the police would have investigated this situation. He becomes mm-hmm. that sort of deus ex machina where, where it used to be Andy in terms of, oh, Daryl will fix it. Um, but, yeah, in the later seasons, they do work with him a bit, that character. Like, he gets to have, like, some funny comedic stuff going, and then he gets a wife, and then he gets a kid, and then his kids and Piper's kids are friends, and, like, and that stuff is cool. Right. It was really important to me that I I didn't just keep seeing the character because with each passing season, you know, from seasons two to seven, we see more and more and more of Daryl. But Daryl also has a life outside of these girls. He doesn't just exist to serve them, which warmed my heart. Like, if you're going to cast Black people in these particular roles, it's important that they have a life outside of being a handmaiden to to our leads. Um, but I loved season one. I thought it was incredible. I really hadn't seen Holly Marie Combs in anything except maybe one Lifetime film prior to this. But everybody who grew up in the 90s knows Shannon Doherty. They know Alyssa Milano. These girls had been on television before. They had already fine-tuned their chops. We knew going in that it was going to be good. And, you know, it's like I said when we reviewed The West Wing... I think going in with that casting, we knew to expect a lot. So any sort of standout episodes or moments from season one that you have? Ooh, season one standout moments. Hold on, let me get to this because I had a little list going. Um, episode three, when their estranged deadbeat dad, Victor, rolls through. <gasps> <laughs> episode six, the wedding from hell. That was a hilarious episode. And probably the finale episode, episode 22, Deja Vu all over again. Episode four, Dead Man Dating. Uh, Episode nine, The Witch is Back. Episode 16, Which Prue Is It Anyway? And that's it for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, a lot of these episodes were good. Um, Some of them were riveting. Some of them were hilarious. And I think the show, and I didn't, maybe I didn't say this earlier, but I think this show, especially in these first two seasons does a really good job of walking that line between thrilling and funny but yeah 22 episodes and it honestly didn't feel that long um it didn't feel like we were running at a 
breakneck pace either. So I really appreciated that. So what do we think of season one? Good, bad, or basic? I think season one is, as much as I enjoy season one, I do think it's basic. Mostly because I think it's it's just all over the place. In a good way, but but it's still all over the place. Yeah, I would probably, I mean, so this is my inner basic bitch grading. <laughs> I would grade it. <laughs> I would grade it very good because it's the kind of basic that really vibes with me. <laughs> it's the kind of basic that I really fuck with on a on a on a spiritual level. <laughs> so I'm giving it a good. Um, let's go into epi- season two, which is also 22 episodes. Man, the WB gave these people a lot of seasons, a lot of episodes. Um, this is the season where we start to get a lot of musical guest stars on the show. Um, oh yeah, the and, show starts to think it's like a music show or something. Which I like. I like it a lot. Um, this model would actually carry over to One Tree Hill, which also became a musical show and would have tons of guest stars. Y'all, even if you don't ever watch One Tree Hill, do not sleep on that show's fucking soundtrack. It is a life. <laughs> it is a life. But they did they use the same model on that show where they would have guest stars actually perform on the show this season we got to hear from dishwala the cranberries janice robinson google dolls and paula cole love it so many people would tune in just for that which i think was a good way to get ratings because once they hook you in with that one episode you're going to keep watching more episodes it's a really fun show our leads are very talented they're very pretty what's not to like right Brian Krause also becomes part of the principal cast this season because in season one, he was credited as a supporting character. Daryl, um, Andy's partner, the Andy character died season one, becomes more involved this series um, after he learns the sister's secret. So, and this is the only season, by the way, season two, where the father figure, I use that loosely, the father figure, Victor Bennett, isn't featured. But we see Victor at least once in seasons seasons one and seasons three through eight. Yeah, but we don't see Victor at all this season. Um, this is also the only season where those energy balls, we don't see those energy balls. <laughs> they, I guess they were experimenting and they realized it wasn't a good experiment and they brought them back season three. <laughs> what I think is really cool about the show is that the sisters' powers grow each season. So this season, Prue learned to astral project, which is really, really cool. Because she can move things with her mind. So I think it's a natural progression of telekinesis to be able to move yourself from one plane to the next, right? Right. We also meet their mother's white lighter, Sam Wilder, who was also their mother's lover, which sets the stage for when we later meet in the back half, the, um, well, not in the back half, but in season four, we meet their half-sister. Constance Berg stepped down as executive producer this season as well but remained an executive consultant until season four. And the reason for that was because she didn't like the direction that they were going with the Phoebe character, who she wanted to remain that whimsical, free spirit, unattached to any partner or romantic notion or serious relationship. She essentially wanted Prue to be like the Aunt Wendy character that we met in The Witches of East End. She wanted to put more focus on the relationship between the sisters and their lives and not have their stories revolve around their love interests. And Aaron Spelling and the network heavily disagreed with that. So she stepped down. Right. Which I thought was sad. 
because the show already sets us up with various themes of matriarchy from jump. For instance, their name is Hallowell. Their mother's name is Hallowell. Their grandmother's name is Halliwell. Their father's name is Victor Bennett. They have their mother's last name. And Piper's children would also go to have her last name because Leo's last name is Wyatt. That's why they gave that as a first name to their firstborn son. Like, his name isn't Wyatt Wyatt. It's Wyatt Hallowell. <laughs> so there's a very strong matriarchal under- undercurrent throughout the show. Why wouldn't you just want to lean into that direction more? But, you know, it is what it is. They made the decision that they made, and ultimately it didn't hurt the viewership of the show, I don't think. But it could have been... Yeah, but, I mean, I get it. It could have been something more. In second season, and then particularly in third season, I think... There are definitely possibilities there for stronger elements of, like, more of, like, a family drama to Mm -hmm. exist within this show, Uh, um, like, a family magical drama, but they don't, they don't go there. Right, right. Um, I mean, the only love interest storyline that I was really, really messing with heavy was Piper's storyline. She was in that kind of love triangle. Um, with Leo and Dan not knowing who to pick, not knowing who the best option was for her. And they are, they're both great options. I'm not even going to lie. I'm not even going to front. But we, we know. The audience knows. She chose Leo because ultimately she couldn't tell, have Dan know the truth and keep him safe. And he learns her secret this season in season two. And she basically does a mind wipe on him. Right. And then also he's not really into her being a witch. Like... I think he's like, I mean, he's, he's into it in the sense of like, it's cool. But then he's also like, I want a normal life. Right. And And this is valid. But like, obviously that, I mean, that hurt me to be really honest with you. you Because I feel like, I feel like Dan might've been the one. I always felt like the show in season one anyway, was pushing us in that direction where like her and Dan just had this more organic connection. Whereas... Mm. Whereas Leo was kind of in her, only became a part of her life because of this white lighter obligation. Interesting. Cause I feel like, um, like, I feel like if their powers had never been activated, like she would have met and married Dan. Right. No, I see that. I was just, I guess like from a narrative standpoint, like it felt like the show had all was always ultimately like going to side with Leo. Um, but maybe not because listen, Dan, uh, and that little kid, his sister or whatever, they get, uh, they're bumped up to series regulars. Like they get like a part in the opening credits. Yeah. Yeah. They did. Um, so which is why I was like, Hmm, what's going on? <laughs> right. Same. I actually wonder what went on there because like, if, so, if you get bumped up all the way to the main credits, Clearly, there was some plan for them to be, like, very pivotal to the story. But that never quite manifested. Piper's relationships with Dan and Leo kind of remind me of those choose-your-own-adventure books that you read as a kid. Mm. Like, if you'd never gone back to the family home and never found out you were a witch, then ultimately you married Dan. (laughs) But if you do go back to the family home and you open the Book of Shadows and you're a witch now and you can't be with a normal dude, you end up with Leo. (laughs) I love that the show actually gave us two solid options for her. Um, options that the audience could both could like get behind. 
Um, it was like the the before Jane, Michael, and Raphael, we had Piper, Leo, and Dan. <laughs> I don't know if um I don't know that Piper, Leo, and Dan were as well written as Michael, Raphael, and Jane. But uh yeah, I definitely but their triangle just went on forever though. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely wanted Dan to win. Yeah, I wanted Dan to win, but like Listen, I have enough self-awareness to know that I wanted Dan to win because Dan is ridiculously good-looking. He's um, so good-looking. He's much better looking than Brian Krause. No shade. Like, listen, it really isn't even... It shouldn't be legal for someone to look that handsome and be so nice at the same time. Right? <laughs> like, he is such have a, a flaw, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a flaw, sir. But, um... It was it was good, and Dan was always really good to Piper. And what one thing I love about their relationship is it was always like a very high level of honesty. Nobody was trying to like manipulate the other person into being with them by omitting key aspects of their character. Yes, Piper hid that she was a witch for a very long time, um, but part of it was because she was genuinely fearful for Dan's safety. Right. Right. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to like, I'm going to lie and make him love me. And then after he falls in love with me, I'm going to spring this on him. <laughs> because Dan was very much in love with Piper and she knew that. Right. Um, this season, we also see a little bit of growth with the Prue character, like personal growth. She's a very controlled character. She's a very type A character. But she has a huge fear of water because she actually witnessed their mother's murder. Their mother was drowned. Um, and so she has to confront a water demon this season. And I thought little things like that, that kind of pull you back and, 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 and give the person a real character arc insofar as personal growth always, always resonate very well with me. Right. And the episode that you're talking about is a great one because we also get the introduction of Sam and Sam was their mother's white lighter and Sam also was their mother's lover and we get to we get introduced into all these ideas of witches and white witches and white lighters can't be together and all of that stuff and and it just in general there's a real expansion on the mythology in season 2 right but like low key everything sam was saying went in one ear and out the other because like sir <laughs> Um, she wasn't just your charge. She was still legally married to Victor. It's a very different situation with Piper and Leo, who are both free and unattached, right? Right. Um, they were I just think, doing some real messy shit. Yeah, he and Patty were messy as hell. Um, but the thing is, I, I think that his advice, although well-meaning, was a huge projection of the mistakes that he had made with their mother, Patty. Um, you know, it is what it is. But um, that kind of... I think we needed that little bit of drama, you know, to a little bit of shaking us up um, to make it clear that, you know, Leo's not the easy option. There are going to be challenges in this relationship as well if you choose this man. Right. And they, and then, and to the show's credit, they make sure that they fully explore like what those challenges are and how it uh, is hard for them to come together. Right, right, right. Um, but she does end up choosing leo ultimately and they go on their or they attempt to have their first normal date by episode 18 um and it's kind of interesting the way that it goes about it's not like dan like does something horrible and she realizes this man is awful 
I believe Piper still has a love, a lot of love for Dan, but she is making the active choice to be with Leo, whom she also loves. I like how the show puts presents this narrative that it is possible to have these strong feelings for more than one person at a time, and that ultimately relationships are a choice. They're not just something that happens to you. Right. Um, yeah, love season two. I thought season two was actually, insofar as the way these characters and their relationships develop, even better than season one. Same. I think season two... Season two is a bit more, just slightly more focused. Um, It's still a bit discombobulated, but I think the episodes that we get are stronger um, than than the episodes in season one. And I also think that the girls' uh, chemistry, while it was already solid in season one, I think it gets better in season two. So um, I give it a good minus. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to give it a good, same way. And this is not my basic bitch talking. This is like my actual rational (laughs) critique. I'm going to give it a good. I do think that they stepped it up. I do think every, the, everyone in the cast did what they had to do. And um, the dialogue wasn't always as solid as the acting. So hats off to the cast for sure. But the, the, the writing did get, I feel, a lot tighter. So I appreciate that. Um, do you have any favorite episodes from season two? Uh, season two, I really like season two, episode four, The Devil's Music. Season two, episode eight, P3H2O, which is the episode that um, we talked about where they meet Sam and go to where their mom died. Season two, episode 18 where they go to, like, this movie theater, and then the movie screen, like, comes alive. <laughs> That's a really fun episode. Episode 22, Be Careful What You Witch For. Those are all really good. I also want to add um, episode 17, How to Make a Quilt Out of Americans. Episode 18, Chick Flick, which is when Piper and Leo have their first real date. And um, episode 19, Ex Libris. So, um, but yeah, the season was great. Really, really loved it. Um, and obviously the network did as well, because season three, they got another 22 episodes. The Cole character, who was introduced last season, becomes a series regular this season. We get even more musical guests, Bared Naked Ladies, Snake River Conspiracy, Marvelous 3, Idol, Fastball, Box, and Orgy all show up um, to perform this season, which is really cool. Right. So, yeah, the Cole character who was introduced in second season becomes much more prominent in season three, and it feels like suddenly we have, like, a plot. <laughs> we ha- Or, like, we have, like, a season-long arc uh, that uh, is tying to- with a main theme that is tying together the rest of these episodes, which is interesting to me. Right. So this season, Cole, Phoebe finds out that Cole, this man that she loves, this man she's so passionate about, is Beltazor, one of the most dangerous demons to have ever existed. And he basically came into this relationship um, seeing her as the weak, the weak link to sever the the connection of the charmed ones, but ended up falling in love with her. And she's also deeply in love with him. Right. Awkward. 
awkward. <laughs> and I do want to point out that Balthazar is, aka Cole, is half demon, half human. His mother was a human. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how broken you have to be. Child. Okay, so basically, Balthazar is Rosemary's baby, all grown up. <gasps> Yikes! <laughs> I I think about that a lot. I'm like, what <laughs> happened there? <laughs> It's literally Rosemary's baby. His mom was a human. His dad is like a demon or the devil, um, what have you. But he was he 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 been he's been in some dark places. He's seen some dark shit. He's done some dark things. He's done some shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first time he's ever been with a human woman, I believe. Like um like in a relationship, not just like purely sexual. And I don't think he was ready to like be loved by someone. <laughs> He was not. I also think it's very fitting that he's a demon and he's like the district attorney. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh they do do evil for a living. <laughs> the parallels. The parallels. But listen, why is it every time we see the fucking devil in a movie is always an attorney? Because Damien from The Omen grew up to be an attorney and eventually president as well. Right? Listen, Charm was trying to teach us something. We didn't listen, though. I was young. I was young. Listen, I was, what, 15 when episode, when season three aired. So I wasn't seeing any of this. All I knew was that this man was really, really good looking. And he was evil, but clearly he was putting it down in the bedroom. And Phoebe was not thinking straight. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the understatement of the year. <laughs> she was not thinking straight. But on to healthy relationships, Piper and Leo do get married this season. Right. So, in a in a very tumultuous wedding. Their whole relationship is tumultuous. And it's interesting um, because we see the relationship being tumultuous, but it's actually through no fault of their own. It's not like the relationship is dysfunctional. It's everything around the relationship is dysfunctional. <laughs> So, like, you, it's like being, like, that brick house in the middle of a, a cyclone, basically. Oh, no. Oh, well. Poor babies. But uh, they were going through it. And, of course, like, the really big thing that happens this season is that Prue dies in the finale of season three. She's yes. killed. Yes. Oh, no. And. Tell me um, that shit hurt my heart. <laughs> And it's funny because it's like it's foreshadowed like a good ten episodes before. Mm-hmm. Um, Prue sees the angel of death and realizes that she's the only one who can see the angel of death, and then realizes that she sees the angel because like she is about to die. But like my whole thing is, I get the whole metaphor of the angel of death, but like, fam, why are you stalking people well before you? They, they they get taken out. Is that necessary? Why do my last days have to be filled with anxiety? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> is that really necessary to just be hovering around? <laughs> but Listen. yeah, she she was going through it this season because, like you said, it was foreshadowed. She knew she, that she was in her last days. Right. It doesn't make it any more sad when it finally happens um although like when it happens i'm sort of like wait she's dead um <laughs> because... Yo, i thought they were gonna bring her back on some like soap opera shit or like passions right 
They're going to yeah. bring her back next season. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And um, because the way that she dies, like, she, get to- she gets tossed through a wall. But, like, they get tossed through walls all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like... She's been, she's been tossed at wall so many times. This girl should have at least 70 spinal fractures. Yeah, like, if they had made her explode or something, like, make, make her explode and make it real. Because, like, again, like, the way you said, she'd been going through this so long that it was just, like, nothing to the audience. It, it, I don't think it sank in for any of us until season four. Shannon Doherty, um, Aaron Spelling no longer wanted her on the show. The network didn't want her on the show anymore. There were things with, like, rumors of her being difficult to work with, chronic lateness, things like that. And ultimately, um, issues, tension with other cast members. This had existed in season one, where um, the actor who played her boyfriend, Andy, she had actually asked for him to be taken off the series, which is why the Andy character dies at the end of season one. And there was more tension with the primary cast. And ultimately, they decided that Shannon was a common denominator and um, removed her from the, from the series. Listen, Shannon and Alyssa got, like, were about to fight. Like, Shannon was... <laughs> Shannon was ready to chop that little girl up. And... Mm. Um, Shannon was like, it's either me or that hoe. And Aaron Spelling was like, girl, sorry. How about you get the fuck out? Um, and it's not. It's like that scene to- in Dream Girls when old girl's like, and you're gonna love me. And then Jimmy yeah. just walks out the room. <laughs> he just walks away. He's like, yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so hurtful, <sighs> so evil, but it's so real. Um, yeah. Uh, she- Alyssa Milano and Shannon Doherty fought, did not like each other, and then um, Alyssa and Shannon was like, "It's me or her," and they're like, "Well, it's her," and subsequent, and then subsequently left the show, which I'm not gonna lie is scary. Like, shout out to the cojones on Aaron Spelling because I don't know that I could have done it, mostly because the what what makes the show work. Like, legitimately what makes this show work is the relationship between the sisters. And without that, you, without that great relationship and the rapport all of them have and the comfort level all of them have, like, you don't have a show. Um, in fact, I, that's one of my, even though Shannon Doherty left and got kicked out or whatever, my big thing is, like, who, I mean, these actresses are actresses. They are acting. They are actors. Um, because of the way that they're just able to make those lines work. They're very natural and giving physicality that they have with one another is so, is so impressive. And what makes it even more impressive now is to learn that so much of it was just self-directed from them. Um, Mm -hmm. Alyssa Milano talks about this a little bit in that, and and Holly Marie Combs very briefly about how if there were lines that they didn't like, uh, if there was stuff that they thought was stupid, they would just do whatever they wanted. Um, or they would either say the line super fast or they, you know, put the line in silly voices or they would just do action instead of saying the line at all. And it shows. It shows because um, it becomes so much tighter in season three um it becomes tighter and 
something that I said to you, I was that I, had I not known just the, the behind the scenes stuff because of how famous it was, you, I would have, you could not have told me that Alyssa Milano and Shannon Doherty hated each other. Like I would not have believed you because they look like they love each other so much. Right. Um, like I said, when we were talking about season one, the Prue and Phoebe characters had a lot of tension, but they went through a lot of healing in that first season. And, you know, Phoebe, Prue always gave off very, very protective older sister vibes, especially when it came to Phoebe. I never would have believed that these actresses didn't love and care for each other a great deal. That, kids, is a masterclass. A masterclass <laughs> and just like putting your bull aside to, to do your work. I mean, so impressive. Um, Listen, she earned that paycheck. They all did. Say what you want to say about Shannon Doherty, but what you can't say is that sis cannot act, because that is a lie. Listen, <laughs> you better come through with the with these truths. <laughs> so oh, we have favorite episodes from season three. Season three, episode one, The Honeymoon's Over. Season five, Sight Unseen. Episode eight, Sleuthing with the Enemy. Episode 18, San Francisco. And episode 21, Look Who's Barking. Um, for me, I would say episode seven, Power Outage. Episode nine, Coyote Piper. Yeah, I remember oh, the one with uh, Piper's High School Reunion. I love that episode. I still watch it all the time. Episode 13, Bride and Groom. And episode 21, Look Who's Barking. I think you said that one already, but yeah, love that one. So what is season three? Good, bad, or basic? Um, I'm going to give it a good, uh, Cole shows up and we get like focus and plot. So just for that, I mean, good, just, just it's all good that we now have like a focus and a plot to this show. I do love that we have a more of a focus now, even though we still have a lot of one-off episodes, there is like that underlying central narrative. And I also kind of love the fact that Cole is evil, <laughs> like shake things up a little bit. Make him evil. I thought I thought season three was really good as well. Season four, 22 episodes as well. And um, we're coming into the season with Prue dead. Like, first episode is her funeral. And we meet the, um, the Charmed One's half-sister, who is half-witch, half-white lighter. Her name, her name is Paige Matthews. And... Basically, her mother um, gave their mother gave her up for adoption, um, and used cloaking spells, both in an attempt to hide her, um, to protect her. Because right. as someone who's half witch, half lighter, she is um, much more powerful than uh, your average witch, or has the potential to be anyway. Right, and um. Like we said, there's an expansion in the mythology when you find out that the girls work for the quote-unquote elders and uh, they weren't in Paige's parents, birth parents. We're not sure how the elders would react to a child being being around for proof. And they're also scared that the elders would have denied the girls their their rightful birthright to their powers should this child have been re like revealed and received. Um, and then also, yes, to keep her safe from, you know, demons who might try to assassinate her. 
Right. And that's a hard. So basically, they had to give up their little love child. Again, Patty and Sam's relationship is super messy. (laughs) So messy. But this season of Charmed, they knew they had to come out of the gate and hitting us hard because you just killed not just one of our central characters, but the person who most people like, if you ask most people seasons one through three who the central protagonist is, they would have said Prue. Right. So you've taken her out of the equation. You got to come heavy with the drama. You got to come heavy with the action. And they did that. This season actually gave us a two-hour premiere. Something that I will say is really impressive was... What was impressive is really just the casting of Rose McGowan. The actresses are what makes the show. So it's very hard to cast a new person and continue that same dynamic, uh, the same old dynamic or have that come across on screen. And uh, it does. Paige does. Uh, Rose McGowan kills it. And that is, that's, that's it. Good for her. Yeah. It's really weird um, because on paper to do something like this, my first thought would be, no, this isn't going to work. You've already in ingratiated us with these three siblings who grew up together in the first three season this this new girl's gonna be like an interloper of sorts right um like like some vulture feasting on the carcass of their dead sister or something like that and the show handled it with a lot of sensitivity and rose mcgowan also handled her character in such a way that we never feel like Paige is encroaching upon us or upon piper and phoebe Right, and the way that they accomplished this is by making Paige really resistant, not only to just being a witch, but to both of the sisters in general. Right, and honestly, if she had been more eager, I would have I would have had my suspicions. I would have been like, no, that bitch killed Prue. She did it. She, <laughs> she did it. <laughs> she did it, no. But yeah, the resistance is definitely the thing that endears us to her because it reminds us of the early days um, in season one, when the original three found out that they were witches, that resistance is a very, very natural inclination to have when you've lived 20 plus years living a very normal life. Um, and it's not just resistance to these powers, but being integrated into this whole new family dynamic as someone who was adopted and never really knew her biological family at all. And now you found out that you have sisters and one of them just died and you find out all these family secrets all at once. It's a lot to take in. Right. And the show makes sure they treat it as such. Like when her little off and on again friend Glenn comes, she confides as much as much into him. She's like, it's it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's cool, too, though, because when we meet Paige, you know, she we get to into her powers like she's able to orb which is like teleport um which is cool because it's something that white lighters can do so they 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 never really let us forget that she is half white lighter because as her powers progress her, her powers probably make the most progression of all the sisters between season four through season eight her mm. powers really grow like exponentially. We kind of see that, which is cool because we can, it kind of gives us a feeling of what we can expect from um, Leo and Piper's children, who are also half witch, half white lighter. Right. So something that happens is like like we said, Cole is evil, and Paige, like Prue as well, actually does not fuck with Cole, <laughs> even though everybody else. Fucks with Cole. And 
something that happens is Cole gets stripped of his powers and he's living a normal human life, but he is not content with that. And by the mid season, uh, the girls defeat um, the source, which is called uh, a short name for the source of all evil. See, we're talking mythology expansion. And the source of all evil is basically the head demon in charge. And they have to use a special vanquishing spell to oust him. But what happens is that human Cole then Cole becomes the source of all evil. He then asks Phoebe to come be evil with him. And she's like, yeah, girl, that's cool. <laughs> Basically. So Phoebe and Cole do get married this season, which is important to know because when everybody was saying, no, 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 Phoebe was like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, Amen. girl. And the thing is like, Piper doesn't really fuck with Cole either. The thing is, she's the more diplomatic of all the sisters. She always has been. She's not going to tell Phoebe, don't be with this man, sis. He's evil. She's going to be like, you know, (laughs) just keep your eyes open, girl. Whatever you think is best, but just be safe out there. But, like, she really ain't fucking with Cole on that level either because everybody sees what Phoebe does not see because she's got the, she's digmatized and she can't see (laughs) it. Right. Cause no, but at first they're all like Paige is tripping. Like <laughs> at first. Yeah, no, because Paige was like, taking it to that next level. Paige was like, no, like he's not just bad for you. He's like bad for the world. <laughs> right. And Paige sort of knew before everybody. Paige was like, you know, he's saying he he's saying I can't orb into the house. He's saying he can't shimmer, but girl, something's not adding up. Like <laughs> Right. Like this is none of this is adding up. And I love that they make Paige this like the inquisitive sleuth sister. I wanted them to give her a personality that the others didn't already have, if that makes any sense. Like mm-hmm. Prue was established as that type A rational thinker personality that look before you leap. Piper is the mediator, the diplomat, the moderator. Um, Phoebe is like the whimsical, sensual, free spirit. And Paige is the um, inquisitive investigator. Um, so giving her this this, this uh, very, very distinct personality as well also helped, I feel, to endear her to the audiences. Because A, um, it's really fun to watch. And B, she's right. So we can actually root for her. <laughs> Right. And I will say a quick note before we talk about a bit about more Cole and Paige uh, in the drama. Uh, I do like that once we have this shift of um, the sisters, like once Piper becomes the older sister, then of uh, over the course of the seasons, their personalities shift to match those roles as well, slightly. Mm. Like you do see uh, Piper take up more responsibilities as the older child. You do see Phoebe trying to mediate um, breakdowns between uh, Paige and Piper. And then you do see Paige sort of be this sort of flippant, I'm kind of doing whatever I feel like I want a younger child. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that growth because they never really let go of who they were. But you see this evolution, like you said, Piper's the older sister. Now, on top of that, later in the series, she becomes a mother as well. And you see the way that this shapes her personality. And this is what I'm saying about how good writing and the writing on this show is very good. Even when it's corny, it's good (laughs) Um, because it understands its characters are people and people cannot remain static. Honestly, I'm giving that... Listen, 
Alyssa Milano, after, I think it's now in either fourth season, I want to say it's fourth season, where Holly Marie Combs and Alyssa Milano are earning those producer credits, uh, those those producer, like, writer credits, and um, I'm I'm going to say it's all them. I'm giving the credit to them. <laughs> Ooh, I wouldn't go that far, because we, they did, the girls did make growth even in earlier seasons. We just didn't have, like, a real central narrative. <laughs> like, that's, that was always a sticking point for me. I'm like, but what is, like, the overall plot? And there really isn't one. We just see them grow as these individual circumstances happen to them. Like, I think there was an episode, and either, I think, it, I believe it was season one, where, like, um, Piper is, like, a Christian, and she's having this, like, crises, because in the Bible it says, you know, witches cannot enter into the Lord's house. You remember that episode? No, I do not remember that episode. I'll okay, that's it. That's, yeah, but yeah, that's in season one, and, like, Piper's, like, afraid to go to church, because she thinks that she's going to be struck down. <laughs> Well, like things like that, like make me like endear me to the characters. Like it doesn't always have to be firing on all cylinders, (laughs) TBD, um, to to give us real growth, which I really appreciated. It was a slow progression, and it it all felt very realistic to me. There, as their lives change, their personalities would always shift a little bit, shift a little bit. So, Phoebe becomes pregnant this season. And the source has plans for her baby, the source being Cole now. And Piper also learns that she's pregnant this season. Um, she's expecting a girl because the Hallowells only have girls. Um, but um, she does end up having a son, Wyatt. Yeah, next next season, yeah. Yeah, next season she has Wyatt. But she learns she's pregnant this season. This season we also, um, we get Robert England as a guest star. If you guys don't know who Robert England is, he was the original Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Mm, that's what's up. Um, I will say that this, so I kind of want to go back to this Phoebe Cole storyline for a minute. Mostly because it's just so epic. Like... Oh yes, I mean it's it was it's exhausting to watch now, but at the time I was riveted. <laughs> right, it's but like you so basically Paige been new, Paige been new, and told everybody, and they were like, "No, Paige, you tripping?" And then, and then shout out to at least Piper because then Piper starts to finally suspect, and then Piper's like, "We can't run up on Phoebe without proof." And of course, they when they but why they do the time they do finally get proof. Piper's like, okay, Phoebe, come back and like we'll take you back and we'll all raise this baby together. And Phoebe is like, no, I'm gonna stand by my man, like mm. <laughs> and be evil. Oh, girl and was listening to Tammy Wynette. Mm. <laughs> she was. She had those tiny, tiny, Tammy Wynette records on replay. But Tammy Wynette also recorded another hit single called "Divorce." I guess she listened to that next season. Um, but, um, yeah, she stood by her man. Um, like, he's evil, but I made vows, you guys. So it's like, girl, what? Right. right. <laughs> this, is gr- this is literally grounds for an annulment, sis. <laughs> and, then, and then at the end of the season when... Um, so, like, it doesn't last... Don't worry, it doesn't last, like, so long. Because by the end of the season, Phoebe's like... You know, Phoebe being evil is not sitting well with her. Although she looks great evil, she wears really great clothes. When she's evil, evil Phoebe, like, can really dress. Um, Oh, evil Phoebe was giving us looks. She was! She was giving us these, like, (laughs) late 90s goth, like, bad looks. And I was here for it. I was like, yes, girl, this is it. 
like when she was fighting with Cole, she was wearing this like white and like this white lace top um, mm-hmm. that came down to like her forearms with this like red wine pant that was amazing. And she also wore this really great leather blouse with this big uh, turquoise necklace that was also very appealing. She was really serving the girls in her evil bitch looks. She was. And in Phoebe's defense, like, the baby she was pregnant with, which is, like, I guess the offspring of all evil, <laughs> um, was really fucking with her moods and her, like, behaviors. The It ends with this amazing sequence between, like, I mean, really just wonderfully acted sequence between uh, Alyssa Milano and Julia McBannon. And basically the sisters come to be like, it's either us or him, girl, for real this time. Because then they start the vanquishing spell. Mm-hmm. And then she sides with her sisters. She's like, I'm so sorry, baby. And then she says that spell and she vanquishes his ass. Right. To this day, I don't even know if she sided with them or she was just like not trying to go down with that that ship. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. The world will never know. But Phoebe chose self-preservation, and I respect it. Um, But, like, was he even fully vanquished this season? No, girl, because then he comes back. Yeah, he does come back. He He's not even fully vanquished until, like, f- freaking... Yeah, it was somewhere in season five on the 100th episode is when they, like, get rid of Cole for real, for real. And that's also when he and Phoebe divorce before before the killing obviously <laughs> but <laughs> but uh um this season was really fun it was really cool and because there was so much more going on with the plot we only had two musical guests dave navarro and rebecca ryan we didn't need all of this extra because it was so much more going on with the plot this was a season that i could say charmed despite um, killing off Shannon Doherty and me not really knowing what they were going to do with this this season started to venture out of good and become something bordering on great yeah for me season four is like a solid solid good and it mostly because it feels like the show finally has a complete grip on all the mythology there is like focus with this plot um between phoebe and cole and how that affects the rest of the sisters i feel like they have a great handle on Paige and I and Paige and who she is and what she does and what she's about and also Rose McGowan for just nailing making this very seamless transition and making it look like it was super easy when I'm sure it was not at all right and I like I said I have to give my props to the writers for making this character easy for us to love and integrating her with the audience as seamlessly as they did with the family because sometimes <coughs> dawn on buffy it's not always done so well <laughs> sometimes sometimes you never really get behind a character um because um it's too abrupt it's too forced and they really did what they had to do with the character. Like, props to everybody. Snaps all around. Season four, season four was really a season that I could appreciate. And they really... It was an uphill battle when you kill off a central character like Prue. And you, you get rid of a protagonist and you replace them with another protagonist. It, this is very, very hard to do. It's not even just a supporting character like the Dawn character on Buffy. Um, she was one of a our lead. central yeah. three. 
Right. She's a lead. This is very, very hard work. And this is honestly a masterclass in how to introduce protagonists, new protagonists in the middle of the game. Yep, definitely. I, I agree with that. It's a, the, um, this is, yeah, this is a masterclass on how to introduce a new character and get, and make the audience love them because that's definitely what happened here. So standout episodes from season four for you. Okay, let me look over my list. Okay, season four, um, I would probably say the the first two episodes, that two-hour opener, Charmed Again. Um, learning about Paige. I mean, it, it, it seems like it was very rushed from the way we talk about it, and maybe it was, but the dialogue makes it so that it doesn't feel like we're being overwhelmed with this introduction of Paige. So I love that. I loved episode five, Size Matters, where we get that... Um, guest starring role from um robert england who plays gamil a demon i love episode eight black is coal i loved episode 13 charmed and dangerous and episode 15 merry-go-round i'm reading this from somewhere else so i think Mm -hmm. the numbers are going to be slightly different they're going to be off by one but um these are the episode titles so you guys will get it uh, so season four for me was, uh, episode five, A Night to Remember. Um, that's the one where Paige is, like, an evil entrenchist in her past life. Also, it features, uh, Frank from How to Get Away with Murder in the episode, so he's in that. Episode 12, Lost and Bound. Um, that's this a is really the good one. Right? Wherein Paige tries to get Cole a real job and he fails. Um, <laughs> it's hard just being a regular white dude when you've been a white dude with infinite power. <laughs> episode 14, The Three Faces of Phoebe. I think that's a good episode. Episode 18, Bite Me. Episode 20, Long Live the Queen. That's a great episode. Yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, all good episodes. Honestly, um, I would say... These are our favorites, but you can really jump into any season, any episode, and I think you'll be entertained. I didn't, I've never found any episodes of this show to be boring. There were some that were, that were a little bit slow in that first season, but even those I don't think were boring. Um, they did give, uh, they did give some information on the history of the mythology or they did serve some purpose in the relationship between the three sisters, Right. Um, I agree with all of that. I Yeah, I think you can pretty much step into any episode from any season and have a real grip on the mythology, what's going on, um, and also just have a lot of fun. Uh, there are episodes that I don't particularly care for, but I wouldn't call them boring. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first four seasons of Charmed good, bad, basic, and spellbinding. If you'd like to check out the series, Charmed is currently streaming on Netflix. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Charmed Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. 
Tune in next week when we'll be exploring the back half of this critically acclaimed fantasy series. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.